UX Podcast Episode 268. Hello, everybody. Welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Pat Axbom. Balancing business, technology, people, and society. We're listeners in 199 countries and territories all around the world, from Pakistan to Cyprus. Today we are bringing you a past guest of the show, none other than Brad Frost, a web designer, speaker, consultant, writer, and musician located in beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as his website says. Now, we we originally talked to Brad, well, the first time we talked to Brad was back in 2013. And that is... Eight inter- years ago. It's eight years ago. <laughs> and when we talked to him back then, it was just when uh, responsive web design had basically taken its first steps. And um, it was just before Brad had started to do his work and writings around atomic design, which, of course, mm. has been released as a book after that. So... It was it was interesting to to listen back to that episode and see how he's formed you know, the the seeds of thoughts that then led to some of the work um, that he's doing with atomic design, um, and then how much he's been working with design systems since that. So you sped through the history. Uh, of the web, really, and you, you go, go, going even through GeoCities and MySpace and the rise of mobile and app stores and uh, all the way to this problem of creating three comps of the same design that we were all doing uh, some years ago. Uh, and then you were talking about we need to blow up uh, the notions of how we create digital experiences and blow up our user interfaces. And when you said that, I was thinking that probably means when blowing up our user interface, it means that we bring it down to components. Yeah. But I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's, that's essentially probably where I was hinting at things in 2013, even uh, whenever we were talking about responsive design. And that's what led to one of my first projects was, was uh, called This is Responsive, which was a, a collection of responsive design patterns. Because as I was getting into all of this and, in, in 2010 and and all of that we are sort of creating these experiences and it's like the whole page isn't the problem it it, 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 everything all the different components of that are are sort of uniquely challenging or can be uniquely challenging some things like text just kind of wraps to the next line so you don't even really have to do anything to that so it's like okay so that's not the issue but the issue is things like you know, navigation patterns and things like, you know, tabs and accordions and data tables and all of that stuff. And so that's what sort of, it was really through that responsive design lens that sort of led me to start breaking things down into components and to, uh, you know, start focusing on them as isolated chunks of, you know, their own worlds. And that, hasn't stopped so so you know basically that's what i feel like yeah again since the last time i talked to you that's more or less what i've been fully committed to has been sort of growing those ideas executing those um you know with a bunch of different clients uh working in all manner of different tech stacks and technologies and all that stuff um 
handling a bunch of different things, but the gist of it remains is it's like, how do you create your own set of components that sort of help solve whatever user interface problems that your organization needs to solve? And how do you do that in such a way that team number one, team number two, team number 17 are all able to sort of use the same stuff. But also, again, there's, there's so many nuances and other sort of challenges. We've done a bunch of uh, multi-brand uh, ones, so like themable design systems. So how do you make it so that these, uh, in one of our clients, 600 brands, how can you sort of flow their distinct brands through the same underlying 600. sort of component life. Yeah. You just did say 600, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, okay. Pfizer, yeah. Oh, and oh they're, yeah. they're a big They're a big company, and mm. uh, I, can't, I can't take credit for developing the COVID vaccine, <laughs> but, but, but we did help work with but, them. There was a but. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, but we did help them, so I don't know. We could sort of sort of kind of it's a team effort (laughs) (laughs) but but that's actually i mean 600 though because i mean we a lot of design systems really are used or adopted most i guess at the at the bigger organizations because that's where the the problem space becomes more apparent when you've got multiple brands and so on but 600 brands that's that's actually so big it becomes an interesting challenge in itself because you you surely you can't you can't standardize across 600 in a in a visual way i mean this must take you into some kind of you know under the surface aspect of of the design system yeah i, I so that's that's exactly right it's the aesthetic layer is just totally up in the air right so you just have to treat it as you know each button each brand's going to have its own you know sort of background styles order radius styles box shadow size, you know, typography, all of that, the aesthetic layer is valuable, right? So you just kind of treat that as like a black box, but it's like, what is the, what's the underlying bones of all of this? What's like the sort of structural foundations? What are the naming conventions and the architectures and all this stuff that you can put in place that can be shared? Because at the end of the day, a button is a button is a button is a button. So, so how do you actually sort of get that sort of uh, sort of benefit of speed and quality from not having to rebuild different buttons again and again and again just to accomplish different aesthetic results. And so that gets really, really fun. And, and what it ends up being that this sort of analogy I use is you all remember uh, CSS Zen Garden? Yes. Like, yeah, oh, my yeah. God. I yeah, haven't yeah, thought yeah. about that in years. But that's, that's <laughs> what we're talking about. It's like yeah. same basic underlying HTML, just componentized, right? And then we basically are able to sort of, in a separate layer, in the sort of CSS and token layer or whatever, define whatever you want, and then just sort of flow that stuff through the same bones. And so you get accordions that open and close without having to rewrite that functionality, right? You get buttons that do what they need to do, get everything else that you need, but they just look wildly different from brand to brand so anyways it's a it's been it's been a heck of a lot of fun solving these problems because what we're learning is that it's just like design systems are kind of like a constellation of about like a couple dozen subsystems 
<laughs> and mm. and with each new client engagement, with each new sort of design system that we build, I feel like we've been uh, cracking different codes, whether that's typography, color, icons, deployment, uh, governance model, like that's some of like the nitty gritty actual sort of, you know, web design development stuff. But then a, like a lot of the things are about like the cultural, organizational, inter interdisciplinary, cross team, whatever, all of that stuff, the human stuff. And um, so, yeah, so it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun, um, but we've been, you know, again, just each new project has like, oh, oh, here's an interesting wrinkle, right? Like it's, yeah. th there's always like sort of something new uh, to, to sort of dive into and codes to crack and, and we've been having a blast doing it. Yeah, yeah, because we're coming from, we're coming from the angle of that, trying to, to streamline code production, but then also streamline design and those two kind of major aspects of it, but it filters out, it spills out into everything else. But ultimately, you're you're being you're creating something organized and creating something structured. It's structure and organization. That's right. Yep. Yep. And bringing that to a world, I feel like the world, you know, object oriented code predates the web. So so that's kind of been around for a while. So for what I in our experiences, like developers don't don't necessarily need to be convinced of a lot of that, but in the world of design, um, the design landscape and tooling and whatever and mentality and stuff hasn't been historically so, so, uh, um, sort of rigorous, I guess, or systematic with it, with the exception of a few kind of well-known design systems and, you know, sort of brand systems from again, the sort of 60s, 70s and 80s and, and beyond, but like whenever it got into the world of, of interface design, we had Photoshop and you go open up a Photoshop file and it was like layer seven, copy 36, you know, and it's just like an utter and complete mess. <laughs> and we, and then eventually we got like smart objects where it's like, oh, here's a component. You could drop this in, but they're, they're just self-contained. So if the button says click me, you can't edit that. So it's like, it's really only been within the last, five six seven years maybe that tools like sketch and now figma and, and xd and the rest of them have really sort of gotten into the game of oh designers need to work with other designers and we want them to be sharing the same language and stuff like that so but even just for instance figma launched within the last six to eight months their um it's called variants which is like you could create a component and then create variants of that same component so that instead of having to have, here's my primary button component, here's my secondary button component, you could actually have a button component with a primary and secondary variant. Right. And that gets you actually so much closer to how things actually play out in code. Uh, so... So I bring that up just because this mentality of like how to actually do this and think about this stuff in a systematic way in the world of design is actually a much, much, much newer sort of endeavor uh, than what the tooling and stuff has historically supported. So it's been an interesting ride to sort of help bring a lot of people up to speed on sort of like thinking in this more kind of like rigorous and systematic way. 
I'm seeing in front of me uh, that famous image when you're critiquing, critiquing usability, where that you have that uh, two spray bottles from black and gold, and one is the fly and insect killer, and one is the canola cooking spray, and they both have the same design, same, same yellow color, same font, and you can't tell them apart. And so I, I think that's one of the things that people bring up a lot when you're talking about design systems. And where we are at today is when you, you say people have been doing this now for five, seven years, uh, I think less than that, less time than that, actually, in Sweden, if I'm going out on a limb here. But so what are the, some of the problems? Why are design systems failing? What are the, some of the problems you're seeing? The biggest reasons that design systems fail is that they don't take into account the environment in which they're being deployed. Uh, any designer, developer, yeah, 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 I get it, components, buttons. Okay, sure, I know how to build buttons. I know how to build components. Uh, I know how to make cards and, and I know typography, I know color. It's like, and then they sort of just dive right in, right? So the biggest reason that design systems fail is that they fail to take into account all of the human stuff that comes in and, and the cultural stuff at any organization. And there's just... It's it's incredible the the different cultural landscape ducking my head into organization one versus organization two versus organization three. What motivates people? What scares people? Uh, what, of course, like the nuts and bolts, like the technology stuff and you know the tools and whatever. That's all sort of secondary. It really comes down to what. What scares people? What's motivating people? What gets people raises? What gets people fired? Essentially, and you really have to tune the design system to, to like lean into those things, and address like the real sort of fears and like, you know, the the interpersonal issues that that sort of are present at any organization, right? Oh, these people don't talk to these people, right? If the design system doesn't address that issue things are going to carry on and you could be like, I don't understand. We like made this like really great thing. Like why is like mm. nobody using it? Like why aren't, and it's because it, it, it's really not about the design. It's really not about the color typography. It's not about the, you know, view versus react versus, you know, angular or anything like that. It's, it's all about the, again, what are we trying to do here? What are you motivated by? What are you trying to get done and how can the design system actually accomplish that? Mm -hmm. something that uh, help with it. yeah something what i noticed during your talk um from business buttons there's the, the side chat that goes on now, now when we're doing all these digital conferences and in the side chat something that really surprised me was was the amount of um designers who were questioning the whole benefit of design systems and and the whole thing around consistency and consistency of ui is that really um, you know, a consistent design system is that consistent UI, and whether both of those mean better UX, and you know, where's the boundary of consistency? There was a lot, a lot more fight back of that than I expected. Is is that something? Is that really just a reflection of the of the cultural and organisational struggles that they're facing, or? I think I, I, I think that a lot of that scepticism is is valid, and and I'll say that consistency. From it, from like an end user perspective, is is actually like not a primary outcome, right? You like the goal of just making good products is for people to get done what they're trying to get done, whatever that is, right? And and so to that 
end or framed like that, consistency is a way of, of helping that along, right? Where the cognitive overhead of being confronted with three different date pickers as you move through a flow from the homepage to the checkout or whatever that might be. Um, we did like an airline site and that was, that's like a, a big one there is just like date pickers are hard to build. So people just reach for different ones, different teams mm-hmm. reaching for different solutions. All of that's cognitive overhead. And even if it is fractions of a second of like new sort of paradigms or new controls, new sort of patterns that they have to sort of uh, learn, it's, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It slows them down and, and, and um, uh, sort of introduces friction into, into the mix. So, so consistency is important, but I think that the idea, and, and I think that sort of why that sort of skepticism is a little bit warranted is that it's like, that's not the goal here. The goal is not to sort of just like normalize everything so that everything looks the same. Like that's really not it. When we talk about consistency, that sort of like end product consistency is one thing, sure. When we're talking about consistency, so much of it is the consistency in, wi- in the way that we work. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I mean by that is things like we name things the same and we talk about things in the same way. Um, whenever we say size, and we say size large, size small, not size, you know, jumbo versus size tiny or whatever. Um, you know, we use the, the term variant to denote different stylistic variations of a component. And we use that consistently across the board. And what that consistency does, that consistency in language and consistency in execution and architecture and all of that, that unlocks quality that unlocks velocity and those are the the huge ones so it's it's less about like we're just trying to create interfaces that just look totally the same across the board i don't think that that's explicitly the goal of any uh design system really like i, I but designers like to go there just because it's this whole oh design doesn't matter anymore we're all just like trying to make the same boring design and like crap it out the other end and it's like i think that that's that's an, a very uncharitable take um having built lots of design systems that are very aesthetically like powerful uh and and unique and and clever um it's it's not a it's not a no we just all need to sort of crank out these sort of consistent yet boring designs uh that's mm-hmm. that's totally Sometimes that's what you need and that's good. And for different organizations and enterprises that I work with, it's like sometimes they do just need like a boring run of the mill thing because that's what their world is, is, is enterprise. But other times it's really splashy brand marketing kind of stuff and whatever. So it's like decouple that conversation. But by coming back to consistency, it's like it really has everything to do with the people doing the work and being consistent with how we're doing that work. That is a way more important consistency than the end user interface consistency. Although there is, again, there is value in having a consistent user experience, but, mm-hmm. but that's, again, it's, you, can, you could argue about that, and I think that that's fair. As you're speaking, I'm actually thinking that the type of arguments against design systems then that 
where they actually do say it's, uh, it has to do with consistency and, and the visual aspects, that's actually reductive in the sense that then you're actually redu reducing design systems to only be about the visual, how it looks. Whereas design systems, of course, are so much bigger than that and are growing in what they actually encompass more and more every year. And I guess, Per, you've got the, mm. the individual threat. I mean, as a, if you're a designer mm. and you suddenly, maybe you've, you've changed jobs, I mean, you're faced with a design system. You know, it, mm. for a lot of people, that's going to be, at least on first glance, very visual. And maybe, depending where you're coming from, you're going to feel threatened by the fact that all of this design exists and mm. is, is structured. And, you know, again, depending on which kind of de you know, your design history, then that maybe is a difficult transition to deal with. So I guess mm. maybe now we're, I'm maybe bringing up the importance of onboarding people into design systems. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think you're touching on something that's very real and something we encounter a lot. Uh, designers have taken a lot of time to learn how to draw rectangles, and they've mastered tools and multiple tools for drawing rectangles. And whatever you basically say, you don't have to spend your days drawing rectangles anymore. That scares people because it's like, wait a minute, I got really good at that, and now you're telling me I don't need to do that. One of the things that... Uh, uh, my colleague and, and frequent collaborator, Dan Mall, uh, says an exercise we kind of do is we say, think of the last project you worked on. Was the one thing that you wish you could have gotten around to, but you didn't have time, right? And, and it's always, oh, you know, I, I hate our icons. I would have loved to, you know, redesign our icons or, you know, I really wanted to sort of spend more time like working through the nuance of the animation styles or i really wanted to sort of you know explore different typography because i don't think that ours is very good it's like that that becomes the job that becomes the work once you're free from having to sort of redesign and rebuild this sort of card component for the 16th time right you're able to sort of free yourself up to do more worthwhile hopefully more like high level tasks and so, so a lot of people sort of getting out of that sort of just production mindset uh, it can be challenging, but it does unlock a lot of opportunities. And that's why we like, you know, working with different clients because we help sort of show them that it's okay. It, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, a, well, what do I do with my hands now? And we're like, let us show you. <laughs> like, here, here's all these things you can be doing um, that, 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 that needs sort of work. But obviously there's still UI work that, that can happen. But again, historically, we had all these people on this sort of production hamster wheel. Uh, and it's just, it's just not required. There's bigger fish to fry. There's more important things. It's like, rather than having to make all the form controls and build those, design those from scratch, figure out a way to cut that form in half, right? <laughs> figure out a way to like remove and reduce, you know, the, the sort of amount of crap that people have to sort of wade through just to sort of submit that form, right? So it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, but it, it, coming back per, to, to your point earlier, it's like the, the, the term design system is such an unfortunate name because it just has design in it and so therefore it's like design equals stuff that designers do which means that nobody else really has to care about it but really like one of the my sort of big soapboxes is that it's like a design system has to live in code in order for it to be successful right 
when a design system is successful, it means that you're able to go to a URL or download an app and fire that, that thing up, right? However you get to it. When you click on that button, you're clicking on the design systems button. If you're not at that point yet, you don't have a successful design system yet, right? You can have the most sort of well-organized sketch library or Figma library or whatever, but that's not actually powering real software. So, so it does involve, uh, you know, the, the developers and, and, and in a big way in like, and I'll say like a, a more important role, like it's, 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 you know, we're talking like a 60, 40 split, not like a, like an 80, 20 split, but it's like, obviously designers are needed. Obviously UX is important. Obviously visual design is important, but also development front end development is very important as well. So, so again, all of this lives under the design system umbrella term. And that's kind of unfortunate just because it, it really doesn't fully get to how cross-disciplinary this thing needs to be. So Brad, if you, if you were, got the chance to rename design systems to something better, what would you call it? That was an awful question to give you, wasn't it? <laughs> Flurkles. Yeah, I, don't, I have Flurkles. no idea. I don't know. I don't know. It's, but it, it is, again, it's, it's tough. Naming things is hard. If there's, if there's yeah. one thing that's, that continues to be true is naming things is hard, right? So naming something like mm -hmm. design systems is, is, is also hard. So I, yeah, I, 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 think I don't you're know. Right. I, I think you're right. We seem to be doomed to end up having discussions about what things are called, um, you know, internal discussions about what things are called. We're, we're, we're still not happy with UX. We're, you know, design gets frowned upon by organizations as, as yeah. design. And, you know, oh, at the same time, we've, we've been talking about how um, the, the vocabulary, the, the, the words you use to work together for collaboration are incredibly, really, really important. Yes. Yep. So these kind of conflicts of kind of internal yeah. discussions about what we called, but we need to call things the right thing or we're not going to get on. But that's, mm. but that's, and, and that's kind of the beauty of all of this. And again, sort of just coming back to that sort of consistent language, it's like, let's just get together, figure out what we're going to call this thing, lock it in, call it the same in code and in design and in documentation and all of that. And then job's done, right? We can move on to bigger mm. and better things. We don't have to call a meeting because you know, this vendor that's sort of building stuff is, is building, rebuilding the same thing that we already have over here. That's called a different name. It's like, that's, that's it. It's, it's just like kind of a dumb, very sort of stupid, like an obvious kind of thing, but it's, it's like naming is hard doing those sort of exercises of like, what do we actually want to sort of call this stuff is, is, is hard but it's important, but it's just also important to just sort of com commit and be consistent with it, right? And and that's like one of the things I love to sort of tell the the client teams that I work with and help help design build uh, help build design systems for. We're like we can pick some conventions, and even if we don't feel a hundred percent about them, so long as we're using everything consistently, we're able to sort of go through and just kind of make wholesale. Uh, systematic sort of changes in a, in a snap of the fingers. It's a find and replace. So if, you, if you don't like this name, just sort of go through and like sort of just 
just do it. So long as everything is sort of following the same sort of conventions, doesn't matter what systems you're you're putting in place, so long as they're consistent within that cell. So, uh, so yeah. that's that. It's it's that's like a big like kind of freeing thing because it's like it takes the pressure off of well, we have this like one shot to get this right. So therefore we need to kind of paralyze ourselves and have like four hour conversations about what the name of component or whatever. It's like, just pick something, go with it, commit to it, use it consistently and you're, you're good to go. Again, it's been quite the journey and I feel it's, it's been, it's been fun to kind of reflect on a bit of that journey. And there's obviously like a lot of work to, to be done, uh, a lot of really exciting stuff still happening and it's we're not yet at this stuff is totally a commodity or totally like a, a solved problem uh and, and even just rewinding to the last time we talked it's like responsive design isn't a solved problem or whatever but it's like you there there's now sort of more sort of solid foundation to stand on which is really fun it's kind of fun to kind of be a part of this well nothing's ever fully solved obviously but with each sort of passing you know project or year or whatever we sort of like unlock new things establish new sort of norms and vocabularies and stuff and and that's really fun to to contribute to yeah and i'm and i guess you're quite excited too about we're going into the age of container queries soon yeah, yeah, that's a big one. And that I think just really plays into the spirit of, look, all these things are super self-contained. Let's just formalize that. Like, let's just, oh, make a thing in isolation, drop it in anywhere and ta-da, it just, it just kind of works. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like I missed the boat. There's now been a load of different articles and I've been so busy with my client work that I haven't had a chance to write my own, but basically it's just, yeah, it is what we've all been clamoring for for years. So I'm so glad that it's, it's finally around the corner here. So this is great. Yeah. For me, that was perfect to end on. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I have some takeaways from this and I think the first one is around consistency and how Brad is so good at perspective shifting. Uh, He's saying it's not about the consistency of the visual design that everything has to look the same. That's not the purpose of the design system. The purpose of the design system is consistency in the way we work together because that is what is going to help us make better products. Mm. Yeah, that was was interesting reflection. One of the things I'd been thinking about asking and one of your questions was, along those lines, I was going to ask about, well, how do you, how do you manage a design system or do you need a design system when you're a small company, just a few individuals working with something? And mm. strangely, his example about Pfizer and 600 brands kind of helped me get an answer to that because, you know, it was so big and so massive and so incomprehensibly <laughs> large number of brands that, you know, it boiled down to the essence, which was that baseline of, of working together and you know, components or way, way in which you would name stuff and mm. build stuff uh, as a foundation that allowed you to be flexible with everything else. It's kind of, oh, well, yeah, mm. that's the same thing with you just a couple of you. You're effectively one of the 600 when you think about it as a small organization. Right, yeah. So if you set that baseline stuff right and get those, that shared language, ways of working, mm. or, you know, a bit more organized around that side of things, then 
you've got a system, a system yeah. of working. At, at the From Business to Buttons conference, he actually got a, a question at the end of his talk. Uh, is there ever a time when you don't do a design system? And his answer was actually no, you always do a design system because even if you have a three-page website, just three web pages, the second web page that you make has to be consistent with the first one. You need to have the same header, the same look and feel. Uh, but the design system then is the first web page. That is what you look at to get the code to make the second web page. Yeah, you're going to steal elements from that to do your next page. <laughs> yeah. So whether it's an official system or not, right. it's, your, yeah. it's your underlying inspiration for page two. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as well, the whole thing with consistency. I mean, mm. um, we, don't, we don't generally set off with the intention of being inconsistent. It's, 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 rarely, it's rarely a goal <laughs> for a project to be inconsistent. I mean, so yeah. so when we're talking about kind of well, we should be should we be consistent? As well, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to sit there and go. I'm demanding three different date pickers. I demand that all the buttons are different sizes and and colours. That that would be a that would be a peculiar project. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, another takeaway I have actually is how he emphasizes that if you work more efficiently, as the design system allows you to do you get to spend more time on the right things. You actually get to spend more time on being reflective about the things you're creating. So you can cut down, as you said, you can cut down that form uh, to half the size, half the number of form fields. Uh, but for me, that's also addressing this aspect of design systems where you're, you're making everything more efficient, uh, you're making everything look the same, you're reducing friction, which, which can cause problems sometimes. But given that it's all about how do you spend the time that you save? If you can spend the time that you save on being even better at research, even better at doing impact assessments, uh, risk assessments, then you're spending your time on the right things. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a burning desire to build a drop-down in every project. You know, <laughs> no, okay, I mean, we, we probably need yeah. one or, you know, <laughs> all these elements, you need them. But mm. um, I'd, I'd rather be investigating looking if the the entire thing does its job it's meant to rather than kind of constantly going back to designing these individual elements these baseline things yeah but that that is a, another interesting aspect of this is the and brad touched on it with the we have the kind of parallel worlds of this last five he said five six seven years where um sketch figma xd where we've got designers building up ui libraries in these tools and then we've got um, engineers coding the actual elements in a web page or in an app and so on. Um, mm. And these, there isn't any um, double sync between these two worlds. I mean, it's very limited. As in, you yeah. know, you, you update this, the Figma file, it doesn't update the components automatically in view. Mm. And if you up, uh, update the React components, they don't automatically update the sketch files. They, yeah. It's still, um, you know, so the... the the connection between these parallel worlds and then the the other world of the um, public mm. documentation or your published documentation around the design systems, mm. there, there's still a lot to do there around the um, the interplay between these things and to make sure it exactly. maintains Exactly, and that's a huge thing. risk. Yeah. That's where it can really break down. Yeah, that you get to a point of efficiency in working on these things, but then mm. it, it, it needs to live. It needs to live its own life um, and evolve and not just be mm. a, a static reference point. And my, my third takeaway is around the common vocabulary, which he, he was emphasizing how, 
how incredibly useful it is that we actually decide on having the same words meaning the same thing in the beginning. But what I did reflect on then is how we might not be starting at the level we should be because we're not perhaps defining what design is. But I'll bet that every designer in the project has a different version of design. And I think that it's healthy to talk about it. We may not always agree on it, but it's healthy to at least get the views of everyone and have let everyone have their say. I think you're, And what is a design system? Yeah, exactly. I think you're right there because <laughs> we all have an opinion about what UX is. Mm. We all have an opinion probably about what design mm. is. We all mm. have an opinion about what designers should do and what engineers should do and shouldn't do. Mm. And we've got plenty of opinions. Um, our industry is not um, devoid of opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. A conversation up front um, is really useful. But again, that, but now we're talking about almost something like when you are starting a design system. But as we talked to with mm. Brad, I mean, a lot of people now, they're going into jobs where, you know, a design system's been around for, you know, years, half a decade. Yeah. Or even longer, depending on where it's got its roots. Mm. If it's got its roots in the style guides and branding of, of, mm. of before, then you know, you're, you're not starting from a blank page. That's right. And that relates to what you were saying about onboarding and the importance of onboarding new designers into design systems. And I think giving them the space and allowing them to have opinions uh, is really important mm. because that will help them accept the design system itself. Oh, God, I'm thinking about onboarding people generally in organizations because, I mean, you know, yeah. if your design system, if you've, the design system is a fundamental uh, building block for your organization, then awareness of that and understanding and um, collaboration around the language used in it and the application of the design system is something for um, employees and coworkers outside of the design and engineering space. Hmm. Wow. We have some recommended listening for you. Three episodes, I think Three. we picked out. <laughs> uh, the first one, of course, is our first chat with Brad in 2013, which was episode 51. Yep. And second one, we, we talked to um, Gina Ann, um, who has done a lot of um, work with design systems, and Brad himself credits um, Gina Ann as being one of the uh, important women who was involved with the early development of some of these design systems and the way we're thinking and working with them. That is episode 163. Very good hands-on practical episode to do with her story of working with design systems at um, Salesforce. Right. And then we also have uh, an interview with Sophia V. Prater. And back then, she was actually Sophia Wojciechowski, uh, talking about object-oriented UX in episode 135. Uh, you will maybe have remembered that uh, Brad uh, mentioned object-oriented programming. So that was a fun conversation about how to bring that thinking into UX. And if you can spare a little bit of your time, then please join our little community of volunteers. Um, we are always looking for people to help with our transcripts, for publishing the transcripts, and also for looking out for our, or building our links that we add to our show notes page. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.
James, what do you call it when a cow is doing surveillance on another cow? I don't know, Poe. What do you call it when a cow is doing surveillance on another cow? A stakeout.